Thank you very much, guys. Let's, uh, let's pray for them. They're, they're heading from here down to Bisbee, Arizona. You said you're on your way to Nashville or on your way back? On our way to Nashville, so let's, uh, let's pray for some safe travels for them. Lord, we thank you for Jacob and Christina coming and sharing with us tonight, and Lord, how you have blessed them with amazing talents, and Lord, what a, what a refreshing thing it is to see them using those talents to, to glorify you. So Lord, we ask that you continue to go before them, fill them with your spirit, Lord, we pray for safe travels for them, Lord, keep inspiring them with, with, with new music, and uh, Lord, open up opportunities for them to share that, and uh, we thank you again for bringing them here tonight, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you guys, thanks. Stop by and see their table afterwards. All right, so how you doing? Good? All right. Well, let's open up our Bibles tonight. Book of Judges, chapter 19. If you were with us last week when we went through chapters 17 and 18, I, I mentioned to you as we began these final five chapters that these are, these are difficult chapters to go through. Uh, there's, some, there's some tough stuff in here. And uh, we had mentioned last time that you know what 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 happens when when people turn away from God, start making up their their own their own religion and and these types of things, and how far away they can drift from God. And and I, I mentioned last week that that it, it it doesn't get any better as we move into this week. And we're going to see if we look right away at the ver- at the first verse in chapter 19. It says, "Now it came about in those days." When there was no king in Israel, and we talked about that a couple times last week, we saw that that phrase that uh, that the the children of Israel. It wasn't that they didn't have a a king, capital K, because God is their king. But this little K, and 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 then they didn't look at at God as their king, and they drifted away. And if you'll look with me real quickly to the end of where we go tonight, the last verse we'll look at is verse twenty-five of Judges twenty-one. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And the, 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 the fact of the matter is, when, when God is not in control, when God is not in charge, this is what happens. It says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. All of a sudden, everybody then is no longer governed by God. We default to being governed by ourselves, and then we're going to default almost automatically to what's best for us and, 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 and to, to get very self-centered and self-focused. And, and we're going to see the depths of depravity that can happen to a people when they turn their back on God and when they truly live for just themselves, doing what is right in their own eyes. So let's take a look. Chapter 19 says, again, in those days there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him, and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah and was there for a period of four months. So he's from Ephraim, the northern part. He gets a, has a concubine who at that time is like a second-class wife and takes her from Bethlehem down in the south part, goes back up north. She leaves, uh, uh, has, has extramarital affairs and, and leaves and ends up back with her father back down in Bethlehem. He goes down now to try to reconcile the relationship. 
It says then, verse three, then her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servant and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him to her father's house, and when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him, probably hoping for that, for that reconciliation and, and, you know, probably just like any father whose, whose children move away and then move back, glad to see the, you know, come and, you know, no, just kidding. Anyway, that's probably not why. He was just really happy to, that, you know, maybe that this could be a, the re- relationship restored. His father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him, and he remained with him for three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. And what is speaking here, eating and drinking, carries with it the idea of, of quite a party going on. Al- drinking, drinking wine, um, getting, getting drunk. Now after four days, they got up early in the morning and he prepared to go. And the girl's father said to his son-in-law, sustain yourself with a piece of bread and afterwards you go. So both of them sat down and ate and drank together and the girl's father said to the man, please be willing to spend the night and let your heart be merry. So again, the next day they're getting ready to leave, the same thing. They, hey, stick around another day, let's continue to, to just enjoy each other's company and, and, and continuing this on. Now keep in mind again, this, this man is a Levite. This man is again a religious, to be a religious leader. And yet he is doing what is right in his own eyes, taking a concubine, going down here and, and, and partying and carrying on with his father-in-law. It says then, on the fifth day, verse eight, he arose to go early in the morning. And the girl's father said, please sustain yourself and wait until afternoon. So both of them ate. When the man arose to go along with his concubine and servant, His father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has drawn to a close. Please spend the night. So another day goes by, he's saying, Stay stay again tonight. Lo, the day is coming to an end. Spend the night, and then your heart may be merry. Then tomorrow you may arise for your journey so that you may go home. But the man was not willing to spend the night. So he arose and departed and came to a place opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. So he leaves Bethlehem, a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, and they leave there. They come to the Jerusalem, and there they were with a, their pair of saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was almost gone, and his service said, servant said to his master, Please come and let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. However, his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners. At this time, Jerusalem had not been conquered by the, the Israelites. Remember, we talked about that. That finally takes place when David is king. So the Jebusites are still in control of Jerusalem. So he says, we're not going in there. There's, there's foreigners in there. But we will go on as far as Gibeah. He said to his servant, come and let us approach one of these places and we will spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. So they passed along and went their way, and the sun set on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there in order to enter and lodge in Gibeah. When they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. Now, it was quite common then. They didn't have hotels and, and, and that type of stuff. When a stranger, you know, again, especially a Jewish person would be traveling through, he'd go to a city and you'd go to the open square area and there people would see, oh, you need a place to stay. Come and stay at, at my place. This idea of hospitality. Hospitality in this culture was extremely important. It's one thing that God commanded the, the, the Jewish people to extend hospitality 
But it wasn't just a Jewish thing. It's very, very common in that Eastern culture. As a matter of fact, and we're going to see this play out in a little bit, that when you did take somebody into your home, it was such a serious thing that you would even, even lay down your life for that person that came into your home. That's how serious they took hospitality. But we see here they enter, and no one comes to extend that hospitality to them. Then behold, an old man was coming out of the field from his work at evening. Now the man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was staying in Gibeah, but the, many of, but the men of the place were Benjamites. So he's from Ephraim as well. He's just there, got a, got a place, and he's doing some work there. But he's, he's from Ephraim. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going, and where do you come from? He said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judah to the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim, for I am from there. And I went to Bethlehem in Judah. But now I am going to my house, and no man will take me into his house. Yet there is both straw and fodder for our donkeys, and also bread and wine for me, your maidservant, and the young man who is with your servant. There is no lack of anything. He said, we have everything that we need. We have all of our own food. We got our own wine. We're, you know, we, we don't need any, any supplies for our animals. We just need a place to stay. The old man said, peace to you. Only let me take care of all your needs. However, do not spend the night in the open square. So he took him to his house and gave the donkeys fodder, and they washed their feet, and they ate, and they drank. Again, we see this hospitality coming out. Even though they had all of this stuff, he said, you know, I won't hear of it. You come and stay with me. I will take care of you. I will provide you with your food and your drink. You just come and stay at my house. But notice he did say you don't want to spend the night in the open square. He knew what was going on around in their community, and we're going to see why he said that. Verse 22, while they were celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, that word literally means wicked, or literally means sons of Belial, wicked men, surrounded the house, pounding the door, and that that word meaning pounding on the door literally louder and louder and, and, and with passionate, basically trying to break the door down, And they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came into your house that we may have relations with him. We may have homosexual relations with him. Now, this sounds an awful lot like a story that we read many, many months ago, doesn't it? The the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. One huge difference. The people in Sodom and Gomorrah were pagans. They, were, they, they worshipped false gods. These are Jewish people. This is going on in Israel, the, in, in the tribe of, of Benjamin here. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my fellows, please do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not commit this act of folly. Don't do this. Again, he's come under my home, my protection. I I am responsible for him, and you have to to give it to him to this point that he's, he's doing the right thing to stand up, but look what happens next. He says, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do whatever you wish, but do not commit such an act of folly against this man. Again, doing what, what seems right in his own eyes. I mean, I... I don't know about you, but even just reading that, I get, I, I get a, my stomach is turning. Okay, imagine the scene. 
he says, and again, remember, this is, this is going on in Israel. Don't, don't do this wicked thing. Here's my virgin daughter. Here's his concubine, his, his wife. Do with them what you would have, but, but don't touch him. Just horrific. But the men would not listen to him. So the man, the Levite, seized his concubine and brought her out to them, pushes her out the door to save his own skin, and they raped her and abused her all night until morning, then let her go at the approach of dawn. As the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. When her master arose in the morning, he slept through the whole thing. He was able to go and have a night's sleep while this is going on. Went out to go on his way, then behold, his concubine was lying in the doorway of his house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up and let's go. Just the, the heartless actions of, of this man. And again, I draw this back to the, there's, there's, there's no king in this man's life. God is not ruling his life. He's doing what seems right in his own eyes. And we see when, when that starts to take hold of a society and to take hold of people, look at the immorality that comes, the, the narcissistic view that, that at, least, at least nothing happened to me. And then just the callous way he treats his own wife. Get up and let's go. But there was no answer. She was dead. Then he placed her on the donkey, and the man arose and went to his home. When he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and cut her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. All who saw it said, nothing like this has ever happened or has been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up to the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak up. He sends this, he cuts her body up and sends the pieces of her body, one piece to each tribe of the, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in that, with this, I'm sure, a, a letter with a message that goes out of, of what had taken place. And saying, come, we need to deal with this problem. The, the 12, notice he cut it up into her up into 12 pieces. That means the tribe of Benjamin got a piece of this woman's body and with this, this, I, this calling card to come and we need to deal with this. They gather together, which again, when we, when we look at that on the, on the, on the surface of this, that, that, it, that, it, that it seems like, okay, we're gonna come together as a group and we're gonna deal with this and, and in, in that we see at least a step in the right direction. Chapter 20, then all of the sons of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, came out, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord as, at Mizpah. So they gather together as one man, coming together united to come and figure out what they're going to do about this. The chiefs of all the people, even all the tribes of Israel, took their stand in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. So they gather together this, this army of 400,000 men. Now the sons of Benjamin heard that the sons of Israel had gone up to Mizpah, 
And the sons of Israel said, tell us, how did this wicked thing take place? So they gather together there, and the Levite now is going to describe what took place. He said, so the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came up with my concubine to spend the night at Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. But the men of Gibeah rose up against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me. Instead, they ravished my concubine so that she died. Kind of revisionist history, right? <laughs> Leaving out some, some, some things that might incriminate him about how cowardly he acted and, and all of these other things. Just, just, just cutting out and leaving, leaving those things out again to leave myself looking, looking the victim in this part. And I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout the land of Israel's inheritance. For they have committed a lewd and disgraceful act in Israel. It's amazing how so easily it happens that we can point to someone else's sin. Not, nowhere in this does he take ownership at all of his own sin. His own acts of, first of all, not upholding what he is supposed to do as a Levite, but then also his total lack of responsibility as a husband and, and all of these other things, totally neglecting that and pointing to the sin of others. As grievous as it is, again, ignoring his own sin. Behold, all you sons of Israel, give your advice and counsel here. Then all the people arose as one man, saying, Not one of us will go to his tent, nor will any of us return to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. And we will all take ten men out of a hundred throughout the tribes of Israel, and a hundred out of a thousand, and a thousand out of ten thousand, to supply food for the people, that we may come to Gibeah of Benjamin, they may, punish, they may punish them for all the disgraceful acts that they have committed in Israel. Thus all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united as one man. Then the tribes of Israel sent men through the entire tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has taken place among you? So they, they were doing the right thing. They, first of all, they, they're going to deal with it, but they go to Benjamin first and they say, What's going on? What, basically say, you give us your side of the story. Explain what is going on. Now then, deliver up the men, these worthless men. Simply hand over those who are the guilty people. Hand over, deliver up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove this wickedness from Israel. The, the, what, the, what God commanded them back in Deuteronomy, that's what they are saying to do. Give them up and we will, we will put them to death. But... The sons of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the sons of Israel. The sons of Benjamin gathered from the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the sons of Israel. Instead of doing what was right, instead of doing what, was, what the Lord had commanded them, they're going to stand on their own principles. Again, doing what they think is right in their own hearts. We're going to stand up for our own family. We're going we're to cover over that sin because we're family, and, and we're going to stand and we're going to fight even against God in this. From the cities on that day, the sons of Benjamin were numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who were numbered 700 choice men. Out of all these people, 700 choice men were left-handed. Each one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. They had 700 special ops guys who could take a sling, well, take a sling, left-handed, 
and not miss. They could knock down a hair. You know, they were, they were, they were marksmen with, with the sling and the stone. Then the men of Israel, besides Benjamin, were numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these men were men of war. A civil war is about to break out. Now the sons of Israel arose, went up to Bethel. Now there is a city of Bethel, a town of Bethel. But more than likely, because this is translated in, maybe in, in, your, in your translation, the house of the Lord could be that they went to Shiloh. That's where the house of the Lord was located. So either they went to the town of Bethel or to Shiloh and inquired of God and said, who shall go up first for us to battle against the sons of Benjamin? Then the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. So the sons of Israel arose in the morning and camped against Gibeah. The men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel arrayed for battle against them at Gibeah. Then the sons of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and fell to the ground on that day 22,000 men of Israel. So they go up against Benjamin. Benjamin comes out to fight and kills 22,000 of the Israelite forces. Benjamin kills 22,000 of their men. But the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves. So they pull back and they arrayed themselves for battle. They didn't give up in the place where they had arrayed themselves the first day. The sons of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening, inquired of the Lord, shall we again draw near for battle against the sons of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, go up against him. Then the sons of Israel came out against the sons of Benjamin the second day. Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah the second day and fell to the ground again. 18,000 men of the sons of Israel, all these drew the sword. So in two days, 10% of their fighting force has been killed by Benjamin. Now we have to be careful in certain times like this because I, I, the question has to be asked almost, right? Why? It seems like they're doing the right thing, right? They're going out against them, yet, th yet they've been defeated two days in a row. And we have to be careful when we ask a question like that in a situation like this because the word doesn't tell us clearly why. There's a lot of, a lot of guesses. There's, there's a couple of things that we could even take away as application points, not pointing to this as proof text. But notice, back in, the first, back in verse 18... They said, they said to God, they inquired of God and said, who shall go up first for the battle against the sons of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. They didn't go to the Lord and say, Lord, what should we do? Should we go up to battle? Should we do this? They didn't inquire of the Lord what to do. They gave the Lord basically an option. Of the 11 tribes or 10 tribes that are represented here, Lord, who should go up? We gotta be careful that we don't limit God's options when we pray and we, and we go to him for counsel. We don't, we don't limit him to, to a, a few of our best choices and say, Lord, pick from, pick from these. Let us know which one of these. But going to him and saying, Lord, what is it that you would want us to do? Even things that we don't, we don't know about. How did God deal with Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> I mean, supernaturally, they didn't have to bring an army against them. God dealt with, with others in, in their history that, that would sin in, in, in grievous ways. One time they just opened, Lord opened the ground right in front of them and swallowed them up. 
But they went up and they said, we know, basically, again, we know it's got to be one of these, Lord. One of us ten, so who goes first? That could be. Another, another possibility, again, though, is that, that Israel itself, we saw no king in Israel. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And God could have used this to, to, to draw attention to that and even to, to bring, bring some punishment against Israel as a whole first. Again, we've got to be careful because we don't know. But we do see something that, that I, I, I like to draw from, especially since the, the, the verses, the text that we've gone through the last couple of weekends from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 26. Then all the sons of Israel and all the people went up and came to Bethel and wept. Thus they remained there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. They went to the Lord now broken over their own situation. Fasting and seeking the Lord. Offering burnt offerings and, and fellowship offerings to the Lord. As, as, as Jesus told us, again, they're moving out to take justice in, in, into, their, in, into, into this situation. And remember what Jesus said. He may use us to go and, and deal with a brother, to take the splinter out of his eye, right? But the first thing we need to deal with is the log in our own eye. Again, be careful. I'm not drawing any, any dots here, but there's, there's certain things that we can point to and say possibilities here, but all these things we need to we need to take into ourselves. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do? Not limit God's options, but always make sure that we deal with the, the things in our own lives first before we go out and be used by the Lord to, to, in, in other ways. Verse 27, the sons, of the, in, the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar, Aaron's son, stood before it to minister in those days. So here we see, we get a timeline of when this is taking place. Remember last week, we had, I mentioned this, isn't, this, doesn't, this doesn't follow Samson chronologically. And we see here, because Phinehas is, is the high priest then, he is the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron. This is taking place right after Joshua. This is, this is how far they fell how quickly they fell away from God. But they go to him and they inquire of God, saying, shall I yet again go out to battle against the sons of my brother, Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah, the sons of Israel went up against the sons of Benjamin on the third day and arrayed themselves against Gibeah as at other times. The sons of Benjamin went out against them, against the people, and were drawn away from the city. And they began to strike and kill some of the people as at other times on the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. In the field, and in the field, about 30 men of Israel. So it starts out like the other two days. The son of Benjamin said, they are struck down before us as at first. But the sons of Israel said, let us flee that they may draw them away from the city to the highways. Then all of the men of Israel arose from their place and arrayed themselves at Baal Tamar. Tamar. And the men of Israel in ambush broke out of their place, even out to Merah Geba. Then 10,000 choice men from all Israel came against Gibeah. The battle became fierce. But Benjamin did not know that disaster was close to them. 
And the Lord struck Benjamin before Israel, so that the sons of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day, all who draw the sword. The Lord struck Benjamin. He came against them for, for condoning sin, for allowing sin to continue. They, had, they, 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 didn't, they didn't repent of their sin. They weren't broken over their sin. They tried to even cover it up. So the sons of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. When the men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they, they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. The men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gibeah. The men in ambush also deployed and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed sign between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise from the city. Then the men of Israel turned in the battle and Benjamin began to strike and kill about 30 men of Israel. So now we're getting a little kind of play-by-play of what took place. For they said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise in the city in a column of smoke, Benjamin looked behind them and behold, the whole city was going up in smoke to heaven. So they drew him out of the city. They had another group come in behind, wipe out the city, light the city on fire, huge column of smoke going up. Benjamin turns around and sees this, understands what is going on. Then the men of Israel turned and the men of Benjamin were terrified for they saw the disaster was close to them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel toward the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them while they who overcame out of the cities destroyed them in the midst of them. They surrounded Benjamin, pursued them without rest, and trod them down opposite Gibeah toward the east. Thus 18,000 men of Benjamin fell, all those who were valiant warriors. The rest turned and fled towards the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, But they caught 5,000 of them on the highway and overtook them. At Gibeah, they killed 2,000 of them. So all of of Benjamin who fell that day were 25,000 men who draw the sword, all all of these valiant warriors. So once the battle turned, the, the armies of Israel just kept going and kept going and kept killing and kept wiping them out. And we see, verse 47, there's 600 men left. That's all that's left of all of the tribe of Israel. They turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon, and they remained at the rock of Rimmon four months. The men of Israel then turned back against the sons of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, both the entire city with all the cattle and all they found. They also set fire to all of the cities that they found, so they utterly wipe out the tribe of Benjamin except for 600 men. They... they went way beyond just pursuing and taking care of this. In, in this, they get caught up in what is going on. And again, just the, the tragedy that is, that is taking place here. Chapter 21 tells us that the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, this before they go into the battle, saying, none of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin in marriage. So the people came to Bethel and sat before God until evening, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. They made an oath. Again, going into this thing, and they're all fired up for what's going to happen. They said, when this is all done, not one of us is going to give our daughters to them in marriage. But now they realize what that means. That means now that basically the tribe of Benjamin is wiped out. There's 600 men. And if they can't get wives from other tribes, then... The, the, the tribe is going to disappear. Benjamin will be no more. These 600 men, when they die, they, they're gone. 
they realize what happened. And look at this. this and, and isn't this typical? They said, why, O Lord God of Israel, has this come about in Israel? <laughs> why, God? Why did you do that? And isn't that, isn't that so typical? And even in ourselves, if we're honest, we know things that we are to do, and when we don't do them, we know the things that we're not supposed to do, and when we do them, and our life turns out to be a mess or things go terribly wrong, it's, why, God? Why did you let that happen? When it's based on decisions that we make. Why, God? So that one tribe should be missing today in Israel? It's a little late to be thinking about that. Came about the next day, the people arose early, built an altar there, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then, again, doing what's right in their own eyes, trying to figure it out and solve it themselves, the sons of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. So they said, We put out the word, and we said, If you didn't come and fight, if you didn't come and be a part of this, we're going to put you to death. So that's another oath that they made. The sons of Israel were sorry for their brother Benjamin and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who are left? Since we have sworn to the Lord, we're not going to give them our daughters in marriage. And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come from the camp of Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were numbered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead were there. The congregation sent 12,000 of the valiant warriors there and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, with the women and the little ones. This is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every man and every woman who has lain with a man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. So they go to this village, Jabesh-Gilead, and they wipe out every man, woman, and child except virgin women. Again, this is all happening in Israel. It's hard to believe that this is, again, these are God's people that are, that are doing this. But again, it is because they turned away from God, doing what is right in their own mind. The whole congregation sent word and spoke to the sons of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimmon, and proclaimed peace to them. Come on, you can trust us. <laughs> Come on down. We, we, we got this taken care of now. Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had kept alive from the women at Jabesh-Gilead, yet they were not enough for them. There was 400 virgins, there's 600 men. And the people were sorry for Benjamin because the Lord had, taken, had made a breach in the tribe of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives for these who are left since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? They said there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin so that a tribe will not be blotted out from Israel. But we cannot give them wives of our daughters, for the sons of Israel had sworn, saying, Cursed is he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord from year to year in Shiloh, which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south side to Lebanon. And they commanded the sons of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards, 
and watch and behold, if the sons of Shiloh come out to take part of the dances, then you shall go out of the, out of the vineyards, and each of you shall catch his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. It shall come about when their fathers and their brothers come to complain to us that we shall say to them, give us to voluntarily because they did not take for each man of Benjamin a wife in battle, nor did they give them else or that we would now be guilty. What's going on here is they're thinking we gotta come up with 200 more women for them, but we can't give them. So here's an idea. At this annual party that we have and this dance thing that's going on, you guys lay in wait and you go and kidnap a wife. We're not giving them, you're taking them. And we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll just turn our, our eyes away from that. You know, you're, we're not giving them, you're taking them. It, it's just a matter of what is is, right? It, it, we're we're going to just shift this around. And I know I said this, but there's a way around this. And, and all of this, I mean, it's just... It would, it would be comical if it weren't so tragic. Again, not... Well, let, let's finish this up and we'll come back to that. The sons of Benjamin did so and took wives according to their number from those who danced. So they, they could dance too. Whom they carried away and they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the cities and lived in them. The sons of Israel departed from there at that time Every man to his tribe and his family, each one of them went out from there to his own inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I know we read through this section pretty quickly. I did that on purpose. <laughs> it's tough. It's difficult. It's, again, it's, it's hard to believe but when we look around the world today, is it really that hard to believe? When we see all of the evil, all of the things that are going on in the world around us, and we could, we could start at the, the world as a whole. I mean, we, we read all the time anymore about how women are sold into sexual slavery and, and all of this type of stuff again, because man is doing what is right in his own eyes, disregarding what God says, disregarding the law of God. How, how people treat others just as, as, you know, worthless. And this narcissistic, this narcissistic feeling that it's all about me and as long as I'm okay. And, it, and again, this is throughout, even when we look around at what is happening in the, the world right around us. How, how, how the world has turned its back on God. In Isaiah chapter 5, God gives a warning to, to Israel, but this warning still stands today. Woe to those who drag iniquity, he says in Isaiah 5, 18, who drag iniquity with cords of falsehood and sin with cart ropes. Woe to those, verse 20, who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men at mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We are living in that time where, 
where Christians who stand up for, for what God's word says are looked at as, as intolerant and evil and wicked and, and in, in parts of the world arrested because of you know, hate speech and those types of things. But then sin is glorified. We see that all around us. And again, we, we, are, we are seeing that even where, when everyone does what is right in his own eyes, the depths of depravity. We still see that around us. And it's difficult to read through this, but I, I do want to point out that, that next week, turn the page, we get to go into the book of Ruth and we see a glorious story there. A glorious story. I want to I wanna ruin it for you. You've got to come back next week. But it's a beautiful story of light in the darkness because you know when Ruth, the story of Ruth took place? The same time. It's happening at the same time when all of this other depravity is going on. We see this, this sliver of light. And guys, in the darkness that we are in today, we need to be that sliver of light. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. If we, and remember when we went through that, it, the way it's written is that we are the only light in the world. If we won't shine, nobody will. And in this, in this time of, of, of this moral fog that is set in over, over our country, over the world, we need to be that lighthouse in the moral fog. Because I got to tell you, there are a lot of people who are lost, but they're sick of being lost. Yes, we live in a, in a, in a society that, that, that doesn't want anything to do with, with absolute truth and, and, and moral truth in those things, but there are many who say, I'm sick of living in that. And they, they come to the light, but we need to be that light. So if there's one thing that we can take away from, from what we just read tonight, other than don't do any of that, is that we are the light in the darkness in a world that, that still continues to insist on doing what is right in their own eyes, we need to do what is right in God's eyes and live that way. Let's pray. Lord, this, there are parts in your word, Lord, that are, that, are, that are difficult and challenging to go through. But Lord, we see this and we see it as an example even of the world that we live in today. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for, for, for peace around the world. We, we pray for all of those things. But Lord, we realize that our responsibility is to be light in the darkness. So Lord, fill us with your spirit. Encourage us in this. Even though when it, it, it seems like, even it might seem like we're all alone in this battle, we know that we're never alone because you are with us. Lord, use us. Let us be that light. Lord, that, that people would be drawn to the light and we would be able to share with them the truth. The truth of the hope that is found only in you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget to stop by and see the table on the way out. God bless you. <laughs>